Let's visit the 90s all over again. Put on those hammer pants. This is Dope Nostalgia. my friends, this is episode 157 of Dope Nostalgia Podcast, and I'm your host, Naomi. I hope you had a chance this weekend on Sunday to uh, listen to our third birthday live on YouTube. That episode will be coming out next week. We had a blast, as always, but it was our very first time we did it live. Uh, so thank you if you were a part of it for checking it out. If you didn't, that's okay. You can always listen to it later, like I said, next week. This week's guest is very special to me. She's an influence on me as a young rock singer, um, and I got to see her perform live back in 92, opening for Brian Adams on his Waking Up the Neighbors tour. Well, that's where I fell in love with the music and voice of Chrissy Steele. So we've got Chrissy on the show today for her very first interview in a long, long time. We're talking 20 plus years. So Chrissy... Oh, I had such a great time talking to you. I felt like we really, really had a great conversation. And now we get to share it with our listeners. Here's a little bit of information on Chrissy Steele. Wikipedia Moment. Chrissy Steele is a two-time Juno nominee from Victoria, BC, Canada. Not a terrible loss considering she was up against Alanis Morissette and Rush. Now I'm reading this straight from her bio at ChrissySteel.com. So this isn't just a Wikipedia moment. This is her official bio. Her debut album, Magnet to Steel, was released by Chrysalis EMI Records in the 90s. The label pushed the project hard, putting over $2 million US in today's money into promoting the Brian McLeod produced gem. With McLeod of Headpins and Chilliwack fame at the helm, the album was recorded at his small studio on his boat, the infamous Grand Marnier in Vancouver's Granville Island. With years on the road, fighting it out in clubs, Steele was poised and ready. But the story goes, McLeod had to bow out of the project due to stage four terminal cancer. While Chrysalis Records has its own drama with selling its 50% share of the company, right when Steele was releasing her second single, Love Don't Last Forever, Penned by Canadian Tim Feehan and Brian McLeod, with Mark Slaughter lending a hand on backups. Despite this, with her manager Sam Feldman and McLeod's assistance, a new band was developed and Steele grabbed the opening slots during Brian Adams' huge 1992 Waking Up the Neighbors and 1991 Jethro Tull's Catfish Rising tours. McLeod tragically succumbed to cancer six months later. This was a glorious yet incredibly jarring end to a decade of rock stars with all the glam and lushness of the 80s, producing such bands as Loverboy, Molly Crew, and Pat Benatar. Many artists entering the 90s with bright careers such as Steel had to admit defeat as the grunge anti-stars such as Nirvana and Soundgarden unceremoniously took over the radio waves. Fast forward 30 years later, it so happened that Steel and Glenn Willows the guitarist and main writer for the iconic band Harlequin met. A musical partnership developed along with Steele's brother and songwriter Brian Southern. Several songs were recorded, including the dark modern single Insidious and the ballad Unrequited, Remember Me. 
The first song, Insidious, released in October 2021 during the COVID pandemic, quite rightly talks about life's challenges and difficulty fitting into a broken society. It's a different sound and feel than from the Magnet's Steel days, but it fits well with Steel's glass half-filled scope on life. Luckily, Steel's fans have been there through the thick and thin. With her popularity expanding on social media, Steel has managed to hold her own. Along with Glen Willows, these two Canadian icons seem to be leveraging their hard-earned place in rock history. Unrequited Remember Me, penned by Willows, Southern and Steel, is out on all streaming platforms tomorrow, January 20th, 2023. So that's why it's a pleasure to do this episode for you today and welcome one of my musical heroes, Chrissy Steele. Welcome to Dope Nostalgia. I'm very grateful that you took the time to uh, do this with me today. Oh, well, you know, it's really wonderful to be here and thanks for having me. You know, th this mm. year I started listening to your podcasts on my daily walks and they're pretty interesting. And I, I have about 160 more episodes to go, though. <laughs> <laughs> so I better get walking. Oh, man, I'm glad I'm glad you're into it. Thank you. Um, yeah. I got to say, there's there's been some really interesting interviews such as did you hear the one with Alana Miles? No, I would love to see that though. She's like one of my yeah. idols. Right? So like that one I I was shocked that I even got because I was you only got Atlanta Miles? Because I thought she was kind of just like under the radar trying to, you know, kind of be reclusive now. I didn't know like what <gasps> the deal was with her, but I managed to get through her management to her and she did it. Wow. Yeah. Okay, well, what what episode number is that? Cuz I want to listen to that. That was number 50. So that was way back when you have to go way back on that one. Mm -hmm. Way back wow. when it was first starting out. Well, Alana Miles, I remember when she first came out, she just blew the doors off, you know? Yeah. She was just incredible. And uh, I, when I'm practicing, I practice with karaoke because it's just, you know, it's easy and I can do it in my own living room and I can blast the speakers and I wear in ears, you know, so I can hear myself. Um, mm -hmm. And I don't wake up the total neighborhood, <laughs> um, <laughs> but I always sing Black Velvet. And that's one of my favorite songs that she did. And, you know, I used to play her album over and over and over and over again. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's oh, probably your it? era, was it too? It was. It late was. 80s or, well, she came up with another album in the early 90s that unfortunately didn't do very well. Was that Mockingbird? But so it, it was, was the one with her on the black horse rocking horse that's what it was that called. rocking horse yeah. yeah 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 you're right so but uh fantastic singer for sure hey if you ever need any karaoke uh tracks <laughs> that you don't have i'm a karaoke host here at edmonton Are you? so no I, i'll hook you up if you need some songs <laughs> oh wow i just go on i just go on youtube and play them on youtube that's a good resource to have. You know, you can pretty much find anything on YouTube these days. So um, it's pretty cool. Yeah. And it is good practice. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Some some of the karaoke tracks are, sound pretty bad, though. You know, that mm -hmm. little rink, rinky dinky keyboard in the background or something. <laughs> the MIDI versions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The guitar solo sound like, oh, <laughs> like oh. A, 
like a flute or something yeah it's like <laughs> yeah it's hilarious but it's fun it's it fun, fun thing for it's sure so thank yeah. you chrissy for giving me that opportunity to talk to you about what's going on with your music um mm, yeah. starting with the current music experiences that you're having now as an indie artist because you have you've you've released new music and you it's um, awesome it's so great you had insidious come out mm. last year mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah and now you have a, the new the new singles coming out right so can you yeah well you know the decision to get back into music was um it's kind of a long story but i just kept on seeing whenever i googled my name i would kept on kept on seeing this extremely tragic sad story all the time and I didn't want it to end that way you know because I knew I had some more music in me and it was just the matter of meeting the right people to write with me or write for me or whatever and <clears throat> um, I was just kind of putting the tentacles out there to see um, who was willing to work with me and a friend uh, said that Glenn Willows lives in Victoria. And I said, well, who's who's Glenn, Glenn Willows? I didn't really know who he was at first. Oh, mm -hmm. he was like the guy who write, wrote all those Harlequin songs. He was the guitarist in Harlequin. And I'm like, what? Like, they were huge in my day, right? And yeah. I remember driving around in Vancouver and listening to all those hits, you know, like um, I did it for love and innocence. and. Yeah. So I was like, I got on Facebook and I'm, and I found his um, Facebook page and I messaged him. I didn't hear back for months. I, I just kind of let it go. Oh, well, that's another, another, you know, and um, lost cause. So um, he finally did return and we returned my message and we got together and we had a nice talk and we talked about music and he said, you know, I've got a bunch of songs I'd love you to sing on and, I said, hey, yeah, you know, like, let, let's get together and listen to some stuff. So he sent me some stuff and um, one thing kind of led to another. And um, my brother got involved. Uh, my brother is a writer. He's been honing his craft for many, many years. And he's just like a world-class lyricist, my brother. I don't know wow. where it comes from. I don't know how he does it, but he's just got that mer mercurial kind of mind. He's able to come up with lyrics just in no time. So him and Glenn ended up really hitting it off because Glenn, um, you know, he he writes lyrics. He, he wrote, I did it for love, you know, but he doesn't, he prefers to write the music and have somebody else write the lyrics. And I think that's kind of the relationship he had with George, the singer for Hardaquin, is mm. George would write the melody and the lyrics and and Glenn would write the melody. So, um, so anyways, they got together and they wrote Insidious and... So I was just like, Brian put his vocal on it. And then I put my vocal on it later. And um, I just said, well, we've got to release this. This is just too good of a song. And it also, I can really relate to um, the existential kind of torment that the song relays, um, you know, going through a difficult, difficult time and, you know, sort of trauma that's happened in your life. And when you mm. kind of hit the wall and you, you just you you sort of ask God for direction in a way, right? Um, yeah. I think we've all been there, you know, where we've hit the wall and we're just like, we don't know which way to turn or who to ask for help and you're just kind of lost. 
Mm-hmm. And that song really relays a lot of moments that I've had in my life, you know. So anyways, yeah, so that was that was done about a year ago. And we were really lucky we found um, a guy, James Reinhardt, who mixed the song for us here in Victoria. And so we've got a nice little team, <clears throat> you know, James Reinhardt and Glenn and Brian and me. And, yeah. you know, so it's really worked out quite well. I've heard that happen for people where when it was time for them to feel musically creative and come back out into the, into the industry again, it was because it wasn't because they were personally this making that time. It was because they found the right song. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you feel that way about Insidious? I do remember um, back in when I, after Magnet to Steel was released, my first album that came out in 1991 um after all that kind of went through its thing and everything and you know we can talk about brian later but um uh you know there's some my some some people were sending me songs and they were just so not me you know mm-hmm. i really wanted to move into something that was a little bit more deeper and meaningful in the lyrics and yeah. it was just just all very kind of superficial you know party party kind of songs and everything that just wasn't me anymore so I think I just kind of gave up and just said, you know what, like, I'm, I'm going to go do something else for a while. You know, maybe this will come back. But for now, I need to try something else. Did you feel pressure to change your sound in any ways because of what was going on in the music industry at the time, like grunge becoming a big thing? And, you know, well, if you listen changes? to anybody that was big in the 90s and or sorry, the 80s. On you go on YouTube and almost everyone says that once grunge came around, everything fell apart for them because it was just record companies were not signing the so-called hair bands anymore. The bands of the 80s or even the early 80s that, you know, they just weren't into that anymore. And they were all just signing grunge acts. I'm like, well, how many grunge acts could possibly be out there, you know? (laughs) <laughs> but apparently there were a lot. And I think, I think, you know, the music industry had to change because it was getting a little bit ridiculous, the mm-hmm. 80s, you know. Um, there's so many, there's only so much 80s we could handle. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so That's it was true. just getting really fluffy and, and, you know, Poison came out and that was like, oh my, I mean, really fun stuff and everything. But um I think it needed to change and it's too bad it had to be grunge, but you know, a lot of people lost their careers in yeah. the early nineties. Lots of people. I mean, I can imagine slick toxic was, was affected by it. And, um, Oh, just Soraya, um, which was a big female act in the States. They got affected by it. Um, just tons of bands. Like if you, if you ask anybody that was around then, they would probably tell you the same story, you know? Oh yeah. We've definitely had those chats on the show with people about uh, how, how things changed for them musically mm-hmm. and how they weren't able to do the same things they could do five, 10 years prior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But I had a really fun time, you know, just touring with Brian Adams. I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> my God, I did the whole tour with him. And, and I saw you live. I did. I can't believe you saw me. Wow. It was in January 92. 
And yeah, you're, you're right. Absolutely. You were playing at Northlands Coliseum in Edmonton. In Edmonton, the good old Edmonton. Yes. <laughs> and so I played I'd there a few you. times, definitely played in Edmonton. Um, I heard you on Much Music already. So I'd seen what you were all about. And I'm like, this is right up my alley. I'm going to love her. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> well, I'm so happy you saw me. Yeah. Um, a lot of people did see me. And, and, you know, as being the opening act for such a big act like Brian, Brian uh, Adams, it's it's a little, you know, it's a little crazy, you know, you, mm -hmm. you got people that are really there to see Brian Adams. So I'm always impressed when people remember me, mm -hmm. you know, because it's like any opening act when you're opening up for somebody huge, people are just kind of coming in slowly and sitting down there. Oh, it's just the opening act. We'll just, you know, talk over them or something like that. So the fact that you remember me, that's amazing. I definitely do. And I can't remember if I purchased your cassette before the show or after the show, but I did own it. Oh, so, wow. Thanks. Yeah. You. Yeah. That yeah. was, uh, it I was have cool. some, good, I have some good, good memories of that tour. Um, just being able to open up the Maple Leaf Gardens, you know, playing mm. Maple Leaf Gardens, this iconic place, um, you know, places like that. And, uh, um, when I was playing in Sault Ste. Marie with Brian Adams, um, after the show, oh, I actually have a really funny story. Nice. Um, oh, this is a funny one. Um, so I don't know if you've ever been backstage at some of these big coliseums, but it's like a hockey rink, really. It's a hockey yeah. rink. And so my band had their room. It's a massive hockey rink dressing room meant for a whole team so you're in this big huge dressing room and I have my own dressing room because I was the only girl and yeah. uh so I'm sitting there I'm just getting out of the shower and getting ready and getting ready to go on stage or something like that and I hear this knock on the door and I go oh my god I, I was like I didn't have anything on and I hear this <laughs> knock I hear this knock on the door I go don't come in and and they Whoever was on the other side, I think, just heard come in. Oh, no. <laughs> so in walks Brian Adams. And <laughs> I'm standing there. And I grab my suitcase. And I'm holding it up to me. <laughs> and he, and he, he doesn't even flinch. He didn't even flinch. And so I'm standing there going, uh, hello? <laughs> And I hadn't even met him yet on the tour, I don't think. Oh, so this really? Is my, this is my first introduction to him, pretty much. <laughs> um, so he just stood there, and I'm like, okay, all right. I guess we're going to continue this conversation with me holding this suitcase on me. And he, he said, hey, I just want to invite you. Um, we're going back to Vancouver. We've got a few days break. If you want to come back to Vancouver with me on my Learjet. I'm like, wow. Uh, um, well let me think about this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> of course, I didn't have to think about it very long. Um, but we were on tour with Anne Murray's old tour bus. And really? there literally was ice forming on the inside of the windows. <gasps> and so we were going to have to go from, I think it was Sault Ste. Marie to, to um, oh God, somewhere very, very far away. It would have been like an overnight drive. Like, and I was like, like no, I'm, I'm, I'm out of here, man. I'm out of here. If I'm I'm getting on Brian Adams' plane, I'm going. <laughs> so 
So we got in his, his white van, you know, the unmarked white van so that fans wouldn't know where he was going. And we kind of <laughs> huddled in that little van together, the whole band and his crew and me. And there's Brian Adams. I'm going, holy crap, is this really happening to me? You know, we get yeah. on his we get on his plane and I'm just like total rock star stuff, right? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it was really, really cool. He was he was very quiet, you know. I yeah. think he, was, he was trying to save his voice. I can totally understand where he was coming from. You, know, you can imagine being that big and having the fans constantly at you and you're just you just want a little bit of peace of quiet. So I, I kind of left him to himself, but we had a few little discussions here and there about stuff. So it was kind of neat. It was a big time in his career that year. And well, I mean, yeah, so it was, his, so it was it a was, really good time for you to be on that tour. Well, it was, it was um, his kind of return in a way mm-hmm. from being away for a few years. Mm-hmm. You know, he made it big, he made it big in the early to mid eighties, but this was like 1991. And he was coming up with the Waking Up the Neighbors um, album. So this so, was like his big international success. Yeah. Him. Like this is when everything yeah. like really blew up, I think. So well, the big the big song that everybody plays at the weddings, everything I do, I do it for you, right? <laughs> exactly. And that was a big deal because I remember um, <clears throat> my manager, Sam Feldman at the time, is mm-hmm. partners with Bruce Allen, who was Brian Adams' manager. So I was one of the few people who got to see that video before it got released with mm-hmm. the porpoises or, or the dolphins jumping up out of the water. Thought I and, died and gone to heaven. Yeah. And yep. that was pretty cool back in those days to have that like on screen. Apparently there was some digital animation of some kind. I don't know exactly how they did it, but it was pretty groundbreaking Yeah, <clears throat> for a video. Yeah. So anyway, he was going all out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Well, going back. Yeah. I remember Bruce Allen saw me at Maple Leaf Gardens and he came up to me and he said, you know, he was really gruff, right? Everyone knows that Bruce Allen has got a certain kind of personality, right? And yes. uh, he said, you're not standing out on the stage. You should be wearing red. And I went, oh, okay. So <laughs> my... I think wow. my stylist and I, we went down to the Eaton Center in Toronto or wherever the hell we were, I can't remember. And we went to some mall and I went to Le Chateau. And yes. I, Le Classic. Chateau is where all, it's where all the girls got their their club club dresses, right? So mm-hmm. I went and I found this red kind of um, tot that was already kind of cool. And I wore that the next night. Anyways, so that was my advice from Bruce Allen. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like I can I can hear it when you say it coming out of his mouth. Like <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, he he was really um pretty instrumental in getting me signed and because oh god, I'm trying to remember the story here, but we shopped the album um before it was released, of course but we did the whole album on like, except for love don't last forever. And I think one other song. Mm-hmm. So it was a finished album. Um, and we weren't getting a lot of interest, but Bruce brought it to uh, Joe Keener from Christmas records in New York. He had the connection and they, yeah, you know, they signed us up after that. We did a big showcase in Vancouver 
at Coconuts, which is a club in Vancouver. Oh. You wouldn't know those days, O'Neill. I was like 19, 1990. No. 90, yeah. Yeah, no, I wouldn't yet, but... um. Yeah, yeah, it I did, was. I was eleven. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough said. Enough said. No, I didn't know about coconuts yet. <laughs> yeah, well, it was. It was one of the few clubs that was in Vancouver that was open on a Sunday, and the Sunday would be when all the bands would, you know, come to the club and check out the other bands, kind of thing. And wow. we we did our showcase there for Chrysalis Records, and I remember in the change room, I was there and. Sam gave me a couple of tequila shots because, you know, when you're on that precipice of stardom and this is it, man, if you can't prove to the record company, you've got what it's got, what what you need to do live, you're done. Mm. So there was a lot riding on this performance and Mm. I just got up there and I just kicked the biggest ass I could possibly kick. (laughs) And um, we were super loud. And I think that the neighbors started complaining and our manager had to go out there and pay off some people or something. <laughs> I don't know. I've heard sort of scattered stories about that. And I don't know if they're really true or not, but yeah. Yeah. It was pretty amazing. You know, Just and that was with Brian, that was with Brian McLeod in the band at the time. Cause he didn't know yet. I don't think that he had cancer. So yeah. Yeah. you too about um singing your actual use of your of your voice and Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. now you mentioned something about um muscle tension dysphonia yes yes tell me about Um, your experience with that 
Well, it's just such a weird thing. Um, I don't know what caused it. Um, I didn't have it back then. Um, I didn't have it at all. I, I was, I think it's an age related thing to mm. some extent. Um, but I did a bit of research around what muscle tension dysphonia and it's basically, it's just the definition of it is just tension around the vocal cords that prevents the vocal cords from um, closing properly when you're phonating, when you're trying to sing. Mm -hmm. um, but the causes could be a lot of different things. It could be, op you know, an operation that you've had. It can be psychological trauma, you know, just mm -hmm. something physical. Um, I think it's a combination of all those things um, and age. Um, so I, I actually come to the conclusion that it's just you need to sing more as a mature singer than you would normally. Yeah. Um, yeah. You need to warm up more and you need to sing more. So, you know, back in the day, I would be doing, um, I would be singing six nights a week. And so you don't have to really practice. But these older singers, I don't know if you notice some of them, their vibrato starts getting really warbly and wide. Um, uh, yeah. And it's just the aging of the vocal cords. And I think that you just have to really, really think of practicing at least eight hours a week. That's what I do. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really hard because you can't be with a band eight all the time. You you know, you, you're going to have to practice at home and keep the voice in shape. Mm -hmm. I think because we're not singing clubs full time anymore, you have to work more at home. And um, so what I did was I just, kicked it up a notch and I just started singing a lot more rather than just relying on my voice to be there all the time mm -hmm. um, so it's really gotten way better I'm like singing no problem now it's just fantastic so that's so um, good you know the Christy Steele stuff is still a little bit of a challenge um but you know if I take it down a notch I can still pull the stuff off so you have a phenomenal phenomenal voice and and range um Thank those you. songs, those songs on Magnet to Steel are not easy vocally. <laughs> no, I, I, I challenge anyone to try them. <laughs> mm. But, you know, Darby Mills also has incredible range, too, right? Yeah. Like, I, I remember when I first heard Turn It Loud on Sea Fox in Vancouver. Turn it loud. You know, like that first note. It was just like, what the hell is this? You know? <laughs> um, Mind-blowing. Yeah, so there's there's a few singers that can pull that stuff off, but you know, definitely my favorite singers are um, the you know Darby Mills and Lee Aaron and mm -hmm. believe it or not Celine Dion, Celine mm -hmm. Dion, she's my favorite. Uh, Alana Miles that we mentioned, and and of course I think number one numero uno is gotta be Ann Ann Wilson. Ann yes, Wilson, she's the woman who kind of really broke a lot of ground in the 70s and what did we have back in the 70s for hard rock singers really or even rock singers was Janis Joplin um and like Fleetwood Mac you know that wasn't really hard rock and kind of stuff no. right um no. so she really was the person that I learned from initially and then of course Pat Benatar right yeah you know? So These I, the ladies are breaking it open for female rock vocalists. And I never uh, really thought yeah. about it going back to that place, but you're right. You know, like um, I remember driving in my car, my dad, 
lived in Comox and my mom lived in Victoria and I had a little red bug, red Volkswagen Beetle. And I used to have one of those ghetto blasters that you'd have to put a whole bunch of double D batteries in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was my, yeah. that was my way of, of listening to music. And I would sing and, you know, three hour drive there and three hour drive back to all pet Benatar and heart stuff. And that's how I learned really, you know? Wow. Yeah. That's such a parallel because uh, we didn't have a cassette deck in the car either. So I did, I had that ghetto thing going on too. Did you really? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't have a cassette deck. I couldn't afford one. I don't know. All these people had these expensive stereo systems in the car. I could never yeah. afford that. So, um, but yeah, it was, it was great, you know, and, uh, oh, of course I have to mention Holly Woods from Toronto. Mm -hmm. Oh God. She's got got such a fantastic voice. And she actually ended up doing an album with Brian McLeod. Assault, Assault and Flattery. It's called, it was a solo album after she left Toronto. You got to check it out. She does it. She does a duo with Darby Mills called cat something. I can't, Oh God, I can't remember. Oh, anyways. Um, she, she's retired now, Holly. Um, Annie Woods is really her, her name, but, um, yeah, she's on my friends on Facebook and I'm like, Oh my God, I can't believe she's friends with me on Facebook. She's such an incredible writer, you know? Yeah. And she's, yeah, she's a very big name in the history of Canadian rock music, you know? Mm-hmm. But she's an American, which is really interesting, too. I always thought, yeah, exactly. I always thought that was the case that she was Canadian. I don't know. I don't quite know the whole story, how she ended up in Canada. But she became Mm. like a Canadian artist, despite the fact she was, you know, living in the States. But I think she moved back there now. Um, Yeah. She's been going through a lot of um, health problems in the last little while, so. I'm yeah, there's the a, um, yeah, there's a lady in the, um, from Edmonton named Michelle Truman who's doing the vocals now, I believe, for uh Yes, Toronto they've Live. got replacements for everybody now, I think. I mean, mm-hmm. the headpins have, are on to their, well, let's see, who was the first? Um, oh, I knew I was going to forget names. <laughs> there was a, it's okay. <laughs> a, there was a headpin singer before Darby, and then there was Darby... And then there was me. I I replaced Darby for a little while, and then it got changed. It's yeah. kind of a long story, but we played on the road with Brian because um, uh, Darby and him sort of parted ways. Let's just say mm-hmm. Darby's got a lot of information on her YouTube. I think and everything about the story about that. I don't really know the story honestly, mm-hmm. um, but I just know that. Um, they parted ways and so he wanted to continue with the headpins name but uh, my label at the time didn't want to call it the headpins because who the hell was the headpins I had an American label and they it was kind of shocking it was a real reality um, check when I was down there in the states that they really don't know anything about us in Canada they couldn't care less it's kind of it's kind of funny um but uh what, what was i saying again i've lost my train we're talking oh, no. about darby with the head the headpins experience yeah they and they then... didn't they they really didn't like the name and, the, and anyways it wasn't going to help them and they wanted it to call 
they were going to call it Steel McLeod at some point. Yeah. There's an industry magazine that actually had mentions that some, I have it in my, my basement somewhere. (laughs) But so there was a few names that were bantied about, but we ended up with the Christy Steel name because, um, you know, Brian started getting sick. Yeah. So we decided to go with my name, you know, which was really hard because I always had the intention of working with Brian and doing all, you know, having him be the leader and sort of lead the way and teach mm-hmm. me and, you know, um, how to do the interviews and all that kind of stuff. And then all of a sudden I was kind of left to do it all on my own. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't, that wasn't the plan, you know, yeah. but it ended up being the plan. So so the intention uh, was always yeah. more of you in your eyes. It was more of a band than a solo project. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. But it was only me and Brian that were signed to the label. Right. Mm-hmm. So um, and Tim Fian was was one of the main songwriters. He did most of the lyrics for yeah. the Magic to Steal album. And he was quite famous in Edmonton, by the way. Yeah. Um, he did top. He did a. a he had a lot of fame and fortune when it came to the Top Gun soundtrack. He got a song on there, I think. And he just moved down to L.A. and he just started writing down there. So Brian and him would sort of write uh, remotely together. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was it was um, it was really uh, like I was on the road with Brian when we found out about him being sick Hmm. and he was just complaining about uh, back pain and he went to the chiropractor he tried massage and and it just it was just really bothering him and uh, um, we were playing at the Beverly Crest in Edmonton yeah I don't remember that club Um, pretty sure it was Beverly Crest and I just remember waking up after playing what I think we played already there and we woke up in the morning and our stage manager came to my door and he said, "Um, I've got some news for you. Brian's gone back to Vancouver. He's on a plane right now. He's going back and he's getting an operation. I guess they, they took him to emergency in the middle of the night and did an x-ray. And uh, they found that he had a, um, a tumor in his chest. So that was the end of that tour. And, my whole world and his whole world just got completely turned upside down. Um, I can't even so, imagine. Yeah, it was really, really uh, a tough time for everybody, mostly Brian, of course. And, uh, you know, we were really close. You know, he was a good friend of mine and it was a tough thing to deal with for sure. And, you know, he just had so many fans, you know, mm-hmm. like, He's just got so many people that still think about him and love this. Good, like you ask anybody, any Canadian guitar player, and they'll always mention Brian McLeod. It was just their idol, their icon, you know. He had um, a huge legacy. He really did. And, you know, it was just, I was just completely numb for a good few months. And he actually, um, he came back after his operation and he was on having chemo and believe it or not 
we did the love you till it hurts video after his his treatments and after his operation i mean that is the hardest thing i can even imagine to do um mm. is to go through that and we thought you know the thing about brian he was such a positive guy and he had us all believing he was going to make it even to the very very end you know mm. even to the very end he had us all believing he was, was going to make it so i believed him i thought oh you know he's he's probably going to make it you know and you, know, you really have you you hope for the best you know um but i don't know the name of the cancer he had but um it it definitely was it was a bad one so mm. there you go yeah yeah and it really mean, tough. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but I was just looking back and I just put a post on my Facebook about the Juno Awards. And I looked at the date of the Juno Awards. Um, I was nominated. Um, and Brian, you know, us, we were nominated for Hard Rock Album of the Year. And it was like a month before he died. And, uh, you know, I just kind of think, wow. I just was numb through the whole thing. I, I, I think I remember somebody tried to interview me and, hey, how are you feeling about having the, you know, being nominated for most promise, most promising vocalist in the hard rock album of the year? And it was just really hard for me to put on a happy face back then, you know, because I kind of knew that, you know, the story was not going to be a good story. And mm. so it was really hard for me to promote the album um, but you kind of have to compartmentalize a little bit, right? Because you have to push on. Right. So. so it's not easy and it's not easy to take those moments and absorb them and take them in the same way when you're going through that kind of yeah painful time. Yeah, it was very bitter, bittersweet, you know? Mm. So, yeah, yeah. I'm Good glad we Brian. could take that take the opportunity to remember him and his legacy and yeah how much he meant to you and your career mm -hmm. wonderful wonderful man now, I kind of kicked myself though because you know there were so many things I should have asked him <laughs> you mm -hmm. know like he he was just such a wealth of knowledge and uh he he recorded like literally recorded all the instruments on that album he did all the keyboards he did a, a lot of the backing vocals he did guitar bass drums everything wow. um he was just so talented and uh you know just such a great loss but um you know i had to i had to forge on and and when the album was done and everything we got a you know while brian was in the hospital i got on a tour with jethro tull of all people um, Jethro Tull was touring, doing their whole American tour, and it was such an odd match um, yeah. because they were kind of a prog rock band that had a following that was probably 20 years older than me <laughs> at the time. So, you know, but we were on the same label, Chrysalis Records in the States, right? So. Uh. And in fact, Jethro Tull was one of the very first signed acts to Chrysalis Records in the 60s, late 60s, I believe. So it's like they're but, this huge band with a big fan base, but just odd to play to their audience. Yeah, well, I remember my first gig. I looked out to the audience and everybody had gray hair. Yeah. 
I was like, oh my God, what am I doing here? It was a Even real in the 90s, eh? Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I got to play Madison Square Gardens. I got to play the Paramount and all the Fox theaters and the Detroit and Atlanta, you know, Cleveland. No, I think I played, I got to say, hello, Cleveland. I mean, <laughs> hello, Cleveland. <laughs> I mean, what That's rock cool. star doesn't want to ever say that? <laughs> It's cool yeah. that you got to see all those venues, though, from, oh, from the inside, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think our last gig was at the Orpheum Theater in Vancouver. They played one date in Canada. That was it. And that was, um, and I think, no, actually, the very, very last one was in San Francisco. And I remember after I just was about to finish my last song, Ian Anderson came up on stage and he gave me this massive bouquet of flowers. And I was just like, God, pinch me. This is Ian Anderson, you know, mm. giving me flowers. And I just opened up for him. I mean, it's just incredible, right? Yeah. <laughs> Lots of opportunities for me back then, for sure. Oh man, the amount of things you can reflect on and say, that happened to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So, please, join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. It's a conspiracy. It's a conspiracy. 
It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network and happily powered by ATB. We are a bi-weekly podcast that aims to discuss selected conspiracy theories, alternative accounts, legends, myths, and more without coloring the topic with our conversation until the very end of the episode. We also feature beer reviews, lame jokes, bad puns, far too many 80s movies references, geek culture, and general nerdery. Our real aim is for fun, inclusive content that doesn't take itself too seriously. You don't have to be blisteringly paranoid of mind control to enjoy a chin wag with your old pals, Greg, Charlie, Andrew, the Irish Madman, and our podcast puppies, Kylo and Ren. It's a Conspiracy is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. You're Stonehenge. Pure genius. <laughs> Those earthlings, they still haven't figured it out. <laughs> uh, yeah, probably never will. I'll tell you something, though. Your pyramids are classic. But the best, yeah. sir, the best yeah. is how you get that soft-flowing caramel into the caramel bar. <laughs> Wait a minute, that, that wasn't me. I thought you did that. It wasn't me. If you didn't do it, and I didn't do it. Who <laughs> was <laughs> But we should we should probably talk about um, my current single that's coming out. I don't know if did I Amen, did I yes. even touch on that yet? I'm not we sure. haven't got there yet. I'm um, looking through every the list here trying to make things yeah. I know there's of, so um, much a flow, but it's nice because we're having a good conversation that's automatically just flowing where it wants to go, which is nice. Yeah. So. Well, that's yes. the way we want it, right? Um, exactly. But yes, we need to talk about the single coming up. Now, I always have trouble saying this word. Is it unrequited or unrequited? Unrequited. unrequited. I, I screwed it up, though. <laughs> I It's my fault. I screwed it up. I called it unrequited. It's not. Un, it's unrequited. Unrequited. And, the, and I'm kind of going, okay, well, how the hell did we ever come up with that? And <laughs> it's, it's my videographer's fault. No, I'm just kidding. It's a great word. And it's... it's a great word. Is it? Well, D- David Latinga. David Latinga, um, he shot the Insidious video, and I can tell you a little bit about that. But yes, unrequited. Um, I said that the song is about un- unrequited love, and so when he sent me the first draft of it, I didn't really have a a title for the song yet, mm-hmm. and he said he just called it unrequited. I went, oh. That's a great name. Why didn't I think of that? So we ended up calling it that, but we added Remember Me to it because that's really the focus of, of the chorus. In it, it kind of says that over and over again. Mm. So um, so what's really funny is that um, we shot the video. Um, he said, I want you to, I shot all those, well, you haven't seen it yet, but you will. Um, Mm -hmm. but all the scenes in the video are shot with me sitting in front of an iPhone with a black panel behind me sitting outside of my bathroom door, which had perfect light. Mm. And I didn't, I did it all on my own. I just shot myself and he called me up. He said, I, what I want you to do is I want you to wet your hair down and I want you to look almost like you're underwater. So you're in the water. And so I had to keep on spraying my hair to make it look wet. 
Mm. And he said, I want your hair to be kind of all over your face, kind of like you're a mermaid in the water, almost like that. So that's what I did. And uh, trust me, I will never show you the original videos because they don't look <laughs> anything like what he did with them. He when he sent me back the first draft of it, I was like, wow, do you ever know how to fix me and make me look good, David? <laughs> so, wow. uh, yeah, he did a great job. Yeah. yeah, he's gonna like that I'm talking about him too. I think. Hi, Dave. <laughs> so, when is this song? When is the release date? It's actually January twentieth, so it's Which a Friday, just around the corner. January twentieth, twenty twenty three. In case anyone's listening right now, you're probably wondering what the heck is that about? That song what is it about? Yeah. Um, it's just basically, you know, we've all had our hearts broken once. I mean, you haven't lived until you've had your heart broken once, right? Yeah. And, you know, in high school or whatever. And um, it's just that feeling of um, when you're in love with somebody and they don't have the same feelings towards you. And, mm. you know, there's in that person, you know, you know, I guess what the fact is you can love someone, but there's no guarantee that they'll be able to return that love. Mm-hmm. so that's basically what the song is about pretty basic message but we've all been there and we all can relate to it I think I think it is one of those standard things that you go through as part of the human experience is very dramatic who doesn't love you back you know very because very very dramatic <laughs> you can't control who you love really <laughs> that's right so yeah and what you know I've been there a few times so mm. there's definitely some layers in the song for me <laughs> Good. I'm looking forward to hearing it. You, you look terrified. You're searching for the door. You slip through any crack in the floor. I, I feel paralyzed. My feet are made of stone. Can't see no reason for going on. So remember me as a role. No, I'm just going to say that being an indie artist um, has been really cool, but it's been also a hell of a lot of work. Um, the marketing, the marketing yeah, of the I'm doing of... all the marketing and the promotion myself. I, and that's my fault because I'm a bit of a control freak. Um, I don't really want other people doing it for me because I want my message to come across the way I want it to come across. And I don't want to have to manage somebody else. You know, if I do it myself, I know it's going to get done right. And I'm a graphic designer and I can video edit myself and I do all that stuff myself. Um, So I think I've got the tools to be able to do it. Yeah. But it's still frustrating because there's it's never ending. I mean, there's so much work to do. And just if there's any musicians listening out there right now and are thinking of releasing their own music, I followed... um, uh, he's like a marketing guru guy from the UK called Damien Keys. It's okay. called K E Y E S, and he's got like all you, you can join up with him for twenty five dollars a month. And no, I don't get anything from any money from mentioning his name. Just oh. so you know, but no, I I just really can't say enough about how much it's helped me to have somebody uh, go through 
a plan, a strategic plan of, you know, what do you start with and what do you do in you know step-by-step process? So it helped me immensely because <clears throat> I've never done this before, right? Never. Yeah. It's all new to me. Um, I've got the design skills, but I didn't have the marketing skills to be able to market my own stuff. So yeah, check them out if you get a chance. That's very beneficial. Yeah. 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 But um, just seeing your social media, I can tell like you're doing a great job with it because it is quite eye catching. And I think it really and you build up a lot of um, anticipation. Oh, do I? Yeah. Yeah. That's how it comes across. It's good. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I just really want to keep people entertained and give them something to look at other than just an ad, you know, because I know when when someone's scrolling through their iPhone, um you know, they just keep on seeing the same crap. Right. And, and you got to catch their attention and you got to engage and engage is the you word. Know, I, I, I just think that also I'm really lucky because I've already got an audience. Um, if somebody's starting mm-hmm. from scratch, it's really, really hard. And I really feel for those people because I'm very, I, I am very blessed because I'm not starting from stage one. I've mm-hmm. already got uh, an audience out there, but I also really, really want to take care of the fans I have and not um, worry so much about finding new fans, because if you can take care of the fans you have, they're going to tell somebody and so on and so on and and share and all that kind of stuff. Right. So got to take care of what you got, you know, um, first, but I, I, you know, obviously uh, being a, you know, a singer, I want it to get out to as many people as possible too at the same time but it's very mm-hmm. expensive you know as an indie artist yeah. you know like i probably spent a few thousand dollars just on the two songs just in facebook ads and videos and promoting and you know there's a market out there that is making a lot of money money off of these little indie musicians and what are they getting back for it there's really not a lot of money in it you know Mm-hmm. unless you sell millions and mil- or get millions of streams and uh you know glenn willows is lucky because he he makes a living still off of uh ben willows from harlequin you know he's mm-hmm. he he makes a living off of his songs that were written years ago but the current the current industry the way it is right now it's like everyone is um so many people putting music out on on spotify where how do you get noticed you know yeah it's a toughie it's a toughie the big c now of you know and how do you stand out in that c if everyone can record at home and put it out yeah. on the platform exactly yeah i think that's um, why the word engage yeah. was very important because i think it sets you apart when you engage with the fans more directly mm-hmm. yeah you i know? mean then- I, I can only do so much um exactly uh, but uh, you hope that Spotify will like the algorithm and have it in your favor. Um, and, and get on those playlists. That and they get have. on those. Oh, it's so hard to get on those playlists. And and by the way, and you know, this is an industry sort of thing, is that um, a lot of these playlists are bought up by the record labels and there's no hope of somebody unsigned getting on those playlists. No hope whatsoever. Wow. So unless you somehow magically take off Mm -hmm. then a label will notice oh 
look at this person. They've got millions of uh, followers. They've got they're they're gradually growing bigger and bigger, and bigger, and then they'll come in and they'll try and sign you right, right off the bat there. But you gotta you gotta get your own following first before the labels will get interested in you. Mm -hmm. It's like they don't want to do the work anymore, right? And so it's kind of sad. But that's just the reality of the music business now, you know. But it is, I guess, refreshing, like you said, to have that control. You have the control now. Uh, yes. Well, I don't have to answer to anybody but myself, right? Yeah. I like it that way. I kind of do. What <laughs> is the catch 22 too, right? I've, I've only got um, two songs out so far. I don't have a whole album. Um, but once I get enough songs together, I know there's been fans of mine that have been asking for a CD and stuff like that. So hopefully, like vinyl. yeah, yeah. Put an EP out or something, maybe even with four or five songs. And then they would be able to have something physical, but it's just kind of silly to, what am I going to do? Release, you know, two songs on a CD. That's not yeah. really market. That's not really marketable. Right. So it's such a singles driven world now too. So it's. Absolutely. Yeah. It just makes sense to do things that way. Yeah. medley yes you do yes i remember well i just i just put down some notes here some interesting facts it's like sue medley and i we kind of grew up together in comox she's from comox really and we sang in the same choir <laughs> that's cool okay what kind of choir was it oh it's a high school choir yeah yeah, it was like we we did a lot of uh, we did the Hallelujah chorus and you know Bach and all that sort of stuff. Um, but some of it was um, modern music, but a lot of it was classical. Mm. And uh, so she was an alto, and I was the soprano. And um, nice. I just thought that was an interesting little fact. And I think she came to the Junos the same year that I was in 92 i can't remember if she was did she won win a jew i can't remember i think so but i can't remember what year yeah. it would have been but i i feel it's like i have a big mental image of that yeah what are the chances of that right in the same right. high school in the same you know 
choir. Like, what are the chances? Did you stay in touch at all? No, we weren't really close, to yeah. be honest. Um, she had her kind of you know, bunch of people she hung out with, and I had my bunch, and we never really came together. But I just, mm-hmm. you know, th- thought it was kind of interesting. <laughs> That's very cool, actually. I, I know she rode horses, and I rode horses. Hmm. So sometimes we'd meet each other on the trail. <laughs> yeah Tell me and about, I, by uh, the way I, I was born in calgary too by the way just you're an albertan oh. yeah i am original an original albertan nice so you yeah. you grew how long were you in calgary before you moved out to the island oh i was just like really young i, yeah. I don't even, i don't even know if i was i walking yet i'm not sure um mm. but i do have some very vague memories of Calgary I think we lived in Mayland Heights do you know where Mayland Heights is I'm not very familiar with the areas in Calgary yeah yeah but my grandma lived in Edmonton and and my mom and my dad lived in Mayland Heights so so we moved to Courtney you know when I was or Comox as it was called um when I was super young so I don't really remember too much about it but I went back and I played lots of clubs there yeah. Like I played at the Rex, the the Rex in Edmonton. Um the, in Edmonton it was called the Rex? Yeah. Oh. The Highwayman. The Highwayman um was another gig there. Oh. There was um this we're talking like 1985, right? So okay. you, you probably never experienced those clubs. No, no, but I bet a lot of our listeners have and I've but I know a lot of people who were involved in that time. Well, in, I was in a band called Reform scene. School at the time. Oh, nice. I like that yeah. name. Yeah, we we had a 45-foot-long bus that was painted black and it had red lips on the back of it. And so whenever we came into town, we were going through some little small town in Alberta, the cops would always stop us. <laughs> <laughs> and they'd what's, what's ID, going on here? please. They, they would always have to get us to pull out our ID. We looked like a bunch of criminals, you know. <laughs> <laughs> those those rock stars. Yeah. Know, up to no good. And then there was also the beacon in Calgary. Um, that was, we used to say, peeking at the beacon. Um, <laughs> and then there was north and south. Oh, God. I just, I it, it's so long ago. I don't even remember some of the clubs, but I have some old advertisements that I cut out from papers and maybe i'll post them on my facebook one day oh that'd be cool i love that retro stuff yeah i uh no i've said to friends before that i wish that i had been about 10 years older you know just a decade sooner so that i could have experienced when live music was original bands coming through the towns and you could you mm-hmm. know go see live music and the places would be packed and people appreciated seeing new bands and listening to new artists live mm-hmm. yeah, that's not the kind incredible. of world we live in anymore i wish i had been a part of that it was an incredible time but cover bands were pretty much ruling the clubs and it needed a change you know it needed a change because you know, I played in a cover band. That was my way to get used to singing in a band was to play in a cover band. And it, but it was a great place to learn how to move on stage and do all the, you know, sort of um, sort of uh, beginners kind of learning uh, how to be a performer. 
but you have to be able to write. And I think a lot of bands didn't go anywhere because they didn't write their own material. Mm. And it really needed to change. Um, and it's unfortunate, but a lot of those bands, they kind of fell by the wayside after grunge came along because their their job was taken away because clubs mm. closed down and it was all just kind of original music, mostly after that, um, unless you turned into a wedding band or something. <laughs> yeah, but I felt like these clubs were not, at least now in the last 10, 20 years, they don't pay original artists enough. No, you know, it's just, they... it's basically the same as it was 30 years. And people always complain about this. It's like, you know, I'm doing a gig. I'm still getting paid a hundred bucks. <laughs> <laughs> You'd hope. You know, you unless you're a big, big act and you can really make it a business and do a big tour, it's still expensive to tour. And uh, especially this country. It's, yeah, I mean, there's takes gas forever and, to get somewhere. Yeah, yeah, but it it was a great learning ground for me to start in a cover band. But it was time to move on to something else. And thank God I did. You know, something so, that's more satisfying for you creatively. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. Anyways. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, I like talking about the the early years. I'm glad we went there. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, like and you know, another funny thing was that when I first went on the road, um, I was a little bit shocked because in Alberta, they called them cabarets. Mm -hmm. And the, the, so basically during the day, there would be exotic dancers. And then oh. at night, there would be the bands and we all stayed in the same hotel. So you can imagine wow you know, you know it was just like it was like paradise for the guys but it sucked <laughs> for me <laughs> no kidding and I oh. had to I kind of you know I ended up befriending some of the these, these were the only women that I could talk to on the road because mm -hmm. I was just hanging out with seven guys yeah. having being forced to listen to music that I hated and um on the bus whenever we were driving around it's like oh no i don't want to hear that iron maiden freaking album ever again um overkill so, but you know they were the only women in my sphere and and i ended up being good friends with them and they were really cool and everything but you know it was just kind yeah. of funny yeah what was your taste in, what were you wanting to listen to what was your taste in music Oh, just like who I was talking about before, like Pat Benatar and um, sort of probably a little more commercial stuff than the guys are into. But I do remember yeah. when I first saw a Poison album, the, the, the album cover um, with the one where they look totally like women. Mm -hmm. That was really right. shocking that for those days, that was completely shocking. Like Motley Crue had sort of come out, but they Poison took it to a different level, right? And then it was commonplace for the yeah. guys to all be wearing yeah. makeup. Very common. I got, I, you know, I got to see, you know, Judas Priest. Rob Halford is one of my favorite male vocalists, by the way, other than David Clover Coverdale. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I got to see some pretty cool bands. Well, I'm, you know, we used to be able to take a night off maybe and go, go see somebody, you know, in Alberta playing at the big, well, what's the big place in Edmonton again? Um, it was the Coliseum. Uh, yeah, Northlands. so we, we would have seen Judas Priest at the Coliseum, probably. Yeah. yeah. 
the boy it sure, was, Calgary, sure was yeah. it, it sure was cold there in the winters though it was really cold <laughs> mm. you have a fairly mild winter don't you out in the island oh it's it's super mild here yeah like uh it's probably like 10 degrees celsius right here right now <gasps> is there grass on the ground well of course there is yeah there's probably it's not a- covered in snow <laughs> There's some, there's sometimes there's still flowers in the winter. Sometimes I can't, I can't believe it, (laughs) but you you have never really, you haven't really experienced winter until you go to Winnipeg. Brutal, right? Edmonton's pretty, pretty cold too, though. So it's a dry cold here in Edmonton. It's a dry cold. Yes. And I always had, I always had my humidifier going and eventually when I was touring and we had a tour bus, the roadies would, um, would put a humidifier with a hose inside of my, um, you know, how we have you, you've been on a tour bus, right? And they have these little curtains that you lie. It's like, you're living in a coffin. You're sleeping in a coffin almost. And so I had a hose that would go into my little coffin and the humidifier would constantly, uh, be moisturizing the air for my vocal cords nice in fact ian anderson the of course the guy from jethro tull he i remember i came back to my dressing room we were playing at madison square gardens and i was having a little bit of vocal problems and he drove around in a cab in new york to find a humidifier for me what a Aww. nice guy i got a little <laughs> note i got a little note on my storage stage door hey was just uh, making sure you got your humidifier. I heard you're having a little bit of vocal problems. I was like, oh, thank I still have that note. That is so cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm a fan now of Ian Anderson. <laughs> yeah, Ian Anderson, super cool. Super cool dude. No and doubt. an icon, you know. No doubt. That's a very handy thing to have. That's for sure. Yeah. I want to make sure that we're covering, uh, that we don't miss any of the... Uh, interesting little bits that you want to cover before yeah exactly well i'm just you know i'm hoping that people will go on to some of the streaming services and check out my new single on january 20th you don't have to do it on january 20th but it would be nice if everyone did it on january 20th because then spotify likes me and it'll start spreading it out to other people possibly with the algorithm Geez, uh, I don't know what else to say. Oh, yeah, well, one last thing. Um, uh, my very, very, very first band, um, I managed to get uh, Jeff Mosley, who is um, a bass guitarist here in Victoria. He was in my very first band, and he's actually playing on Unrequited. Yeah. So I wanted to, put, wanted to put a little plug in there for Jeff and thank him for doing that. That's so cool that you still have that connection and yeah. we're able to make that happen. Yeah. Very so. cool. Well, I think well, I've covered it all, man. I mean, can you think <laughs> of anything else? Of the two huge ballads, oh. that Don't Last Forever and Cry Myself to Sleep. Mm-hmm. What, which of the two was your personal favorite? Well, you know, <clears throat> I think they're both great songs. Um and I do understand that we had to get Mutt Lang to approve us putting it on the Magnet to Steel album. And I thank him for that. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to do that, right? Um, 
but I'm going to have to go with love. Don't last forever because it's, it. Brian and Tim wrote it and it, you know, it reminds me of Brian and the, the lyrics just really, really are great lyrics. And it was written for me and cry myself to sleep. There's been um, a couple of other artists that released it before me. So this love don't last forever is, feels like a lot more like a song that I could consider mine, but I love singing them both. just such a solid song love don't last forever i was talking to a friend yesterday he's like what they, he's like they don't make good bridges anymore and i said and he goes give me an example of a song that has an incredible bridge and that's what i gave him don't want to cry no more yeah yeah except two octaves above what i'm just singing it's a very <laughs> very hard it's it's an incredibly hard song to sing live um I posted some, a live performance of me doing it with my band, mm. who I should mention right now because they are awesome guys. Um, so the Christy Steele band, um, after we got signed, um, was Joe Woke. Oh, and I have to remember, so Joey was in reform school. The The band with the big, you know, red lips on the back yeah, the <laughs> with the bus school, yes. the bus the bus that had the big <laughs> anyways <laughs> it was reform school and um after brian got sick he he i think i suggested joey because he was one of the top guitarists in vancouver at the time he was playing with a bunch of other bands so um sorry why didn't why am i bringing this up again i i've got a Talk mind top. i've got a mind like a squirrel <laughs> We were talking about making sure like we talk about the the whole band. Yeah. Okay. Well, after we got signed, it was Joey Woke and Rick Fedick, who's actually playing. He's played with some big acts. Um, what's the guy, Bad Company, the singer for Bike Bad Company, um, Paul Rogers? Yes. He was playing with Paul Rogers after Christy Steele. Like quite a few years after Christy Steele. And now he's playing with a, a tribute act called Barracuda, who does a heart tribute act. Oh, wow. But a great singer. So um, so he's playing with them now. But he's been doing a lot of different things. 
And Jim Webster, he lives way up north now. Um, he was the keyboardist. And uh, Anton Vaught, he was our bass guitarist. So the that that was after Brian got sick. But before he got sick and before we got signed, um, obviously it was Brian McLeod, um, Matteo Caratazzolo on keys. He engineered the Magnet to Steel album with Brian. And he was also a keyboardist. Um, and then Danny Latham was playing on bass. Um, unfortunately, he died a few years ago of cancer. So another person with cancer, just like Jesus. Uh, Bernie Aubin, who's always been the Headpins drummer since day one. And he's still going at it. I think, I don't know. I have to ask Bernie how old he is. I, I talk to him on a regular basis. He's a good friend of mine. So um, I think he ended up with, Kim Mitchell, uh, when we were going on tour, I think he was actually playing with Kim Mitchell or something. I'm, I'm not sure who he was mm. with at the time, but we couldn't take him with us. And we actually had um, uh, Matt Frenette, the drummer from Loverboy for a while. Um, That's cool. We were going to tour with Matt Frenette from Loverboy and Peter Fredette from Kim Mitchell. Yeah. That bass player that can sing like a bird. Um, <laughs> but we were using Loverboy's rehearsal space in North Vancouver. And that was the band there for, I don't know, a few weeks, I think. And then it ended up being a different band after that. I don't know why. I think they had to play with Kim Mitchell. They went off with Kim Mitchell and did their thing with them. So yeah. it's it's a long time ago. So memory memory kind of tends to fade so but oh my god like that was so fun playing with those guys there's actually a live a live youtube video with matt Fernet playing with us the guy just kicks ass he's such a great drummer i want to find that video i want we can it's, save it on our uh playlist just google google either headpins or christy steel 86th street it okay come up. yeah it's a whole the whole show's on there with matt Fernet playing drums that's awesome. Unfortunately, we, we didn't get anything with Bernie. Um, you know, not a lot of people had video cameras back then, right? So Right. Yeah. I'll see if yeah. I can find something. I might I might have something in the archives somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have stuff that you haven't had digitalized yet that you're like still have on oh, tape? Yeah, you're you're reminding me. Um there are a few interviews with uh Terry David Mulligan on Much Music. Oh, and I did, I did um, a big, huge festival with Spinal Tap in 1992. I think that was the very, very last gig with Spinal Tap. Have you seen that movie? So long ago. That yeah, I, don't I know it came out that well, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was basically uh, done, uh, sponsored by Molson Canadian, and they would do. Spinal Tap did three concerts, one back east, one, I think, in the middle of the country. And then they ended up at Vancouver at the end of the day. And it was all done within 24 hours. <laughs> no and there was way. like Colin James, Lee Aaron, um, just tons of great bands. Um, Bare Naked Ladies, I think, played. Um, yeah, so it was the Vancouver part of it was with Colin James and... Uh, tragically hit who drank all our beer by the way 
We went backstage mm-hmm. and they had, they had taken drunk all of our beer. Couldn't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, yeah, but was, yeah, yeah, exactly. Never forgive him for that. <laughs> Not that I drink beer, but the guys were upset. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> they look forward to that. Yeah. So that was lots of fun. But that was the very last, cool. uh, that was the last gig that we did. Um, what do you see for gigs remember... in the future? What do you, what hmm? are you thinking? What are you thinking about gigs for the future? Are there, is there anything lined up? No, not yet. But um, Glenn and I are working on something. I don't want to say anything yet, but uh, we'll see how it goes. Yeah. I'm really looking, looking forward, forward to like, to... well, you know, it's just, it's got to sound good. And yeah. we're thinking of just doing an unplugged kind of version of some of the songs and cool. uh, maybe do a cover or two. Like one of the covers um, I was thinking was um, a Bonnie Raitt song and possibly an Atlanta Miles song or something like just something that people really want to hear. I might actually put That's a vote. Nice. I might go, okay, well, Hey everybody, here's five songs. Which one do you want to hear the most? And maybe we'll put that together or something like that. Um, I like that. But putting it to a band together is a real pain in the neck. And mm. I don't really want to have to go through that right now. Um, mm-hmm. Especially being in Victoria, it's really hard to, there's no rehearsal space here. It's really hard mm-hmm. to find um, some somewhere that's got good equipment and it's expensive. So yeah. we'll see how it goes, you know, we'll just have to see how it goes. But um, I'm yeah. really, really would love to, I mean, people really do want to hear me. So yeah, we I do. Totally get it. I know. We do. Yeah. Even <laughs> if you can like make something uh, for people on YouTube, just like as a, a taste of hearing the new songs and a couple old songs and you know just well that's the plan that that's the plan right um we're just got to get together and we're gonna in the next couple of weeks we're gonna put something together hopefully so see how it goes I like that idea yeah I want to thank you especially for being like I I was I was a young rock singer um oh I heard you're a singer I didn't know that you're one of those ladies who inspired me as a vocalist. So I want to thank Aww. you for that. Yeah. Aww, thank you. Yes, well, very much. <laughs> well, you're going to have to let us know how to, how to listen to your stuff. If you have any, sure. well, I'll send you a link to uh, some of the, please do. I'd love to hear you did with the band. The band was called six string loaded and uh, yeah. Well, you've a got time. a nice, nice tone to your voice. Just even speaking. I, I'm Thank I'm you. guessing you're you're like a mezzo soprano possibly, probably yeah. I think if I were back in the choir days, I th- I was definitely a soprano then, but I would I would be an alto now. An alto. I know it's funny how yeah. the voice the older you get, you lose about half an octave at least sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, my voice sounds way lower than it did when I was young, you know. So when I'm yeah. wrapping things up too, I was going to ask you. Um, do you prefer having the rasp to your voice or the clarity or is it more of like a, a combo? I think it's a combo. I think um, depending on the note and the word that you're, you're expressing, sometimes a little bit of rasp is good because it shows the emotion. It shows the anger or the, you know, the underlying, whatever it is that you're singing. It sort of expands on that. 
it's like your voice your voice it doesn't always have to be clean and it doesn't always have to be raspy you know yeah it's a, it's a tool that expresses what you're talking about just add some know? color to it you know some some depth having yeah. that rasp on there yeah I think it's a combo definitely um but uh the raspiness is hard on the vocal cords though so yes you know it sounds so you, good <laughs> you, you, I know but you can only do that for so long as a singer your career is going to be really short if you're doing the raspy thing all the time but sure. mind you there's some people that do it you know yeah so, some uh, can make yeah. it work some can't it's just everyone's yeah. humanly yeah. different there's a singer from Australia, a guy. I just wish I could remember his name. He's like an insane singer. And he just sang live so well. It's just, oh, there's some, there's some singers you just go, drop the mic. I'm never going to sound like that. You know, like Celine Dion. Oh, my God. They have Beyonce. quite the gift. Beyonce. Oh, my God. I miss hearing Beyonce do songs where we could really hear her vocalize. Yeah. Because a lot of the newer stuff is more like um, almost spoken in parts, which is, it's cool. Like, I like the direction she's taking musically and all yeah. that. But I miss hearing her sing like she used to sing in like Destiny's Child. <laughs> well, there's also, you know, American Idol. Um, there's some incredible singers that come out of there. What mm. was the one that won the first one? What's her name again? Kelly Clarkson. Oh God, she's a great singer, man. Isn't she? Holy crap. Yeah. She's Except very diverse too. She is just so amazing. Her voice, like God, given to her from God, no doubt. But mm-hmm. yeah, the, so there's her and um, Pink. <gasps> I love Pink. You know, wow. Yeah. Wow. And she can do it while she's on a trapeze, a rope. <laughs> swinging around i mean hello and that's not pre-recorded i'm gonna tell you right now that's not what kind of vocal lessons do you need to take to do that (laughs) what kind of breathing exercises no that that that, that's that's genetic some people you you can practice and practice and practice you're never going to sound like some singers you know you just gotta you just gotta be you um Mm -hmm. and just keep keep your voice in shape and just keep at it but you know t- as soon as you start saying i want to sound like this person or that person you know that's a losing game <laughs> agreed own it just own who you are just own you own who you are you know yeah. make it work oh <laughs> uh, chrissy thank you i hope uh, you had as much fun as i did i did this Good. is fantastic i can't believe i actually pulled this off <laughs> you did it it was it was amazing you did an awesome job so i'm really Thank grateful you. that that you did that with me today for the show and i hope like going forward all the best for you and i'm going to promote you. all the stuff you do so you got new music coming Thank out you. whenever i'll make sure that we put it on the show and talk about it and keep in okay. touch with what you're doing you betcha and i can't wait to put this on my facebook page yes okay all right we'll we'll see you soon you're amazing Naomi oh you're the best thank you okay so all right well take care and I hope you have stay in touch man I will stay in touch send me your links your singing links okay I'll do it (laughs) okay take care bye 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 
follow us on Facebook at Dope Nostalgia, Instagram, Dope underscore Nostalgia, or on Twitter at Nostalgia Dope. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.